Good afternoon. Are you all, um, are you all feeling sharp this afternoon? Mentally sharp? <laughs> Sunday afternoon, so probably not. Um, I want to ask you a question at the start. Um, we're we're going to think a little bit about sort of kingdoms and, uh, and obviously specifically God's kingdom. Um, but I want to ask you if you can think of some different kingdoms and empires that there have been in the world. Um, I, I, I'm not very good with history. So, so my, my first shout is the British Empire, which I know about. Um, so, if, yeah, think of some and shout them out. Roman Empire. Excellent. Sorry? Babylonian, yep. Very relevant to Daniel. The what? I'll take your word for it, Nick. <laughs> I will try and pronounce it. Any others? And I think I think there's the what, Ottoman Empire. Yeah, I, I can't really think of any more, but I'm, I'm sure it could come up with loads. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, what what those empires kind of have in common really is the way that they advance their empire, their kingdom. And what what is that? How how do earthly kind of kingdoms and empires expand? Yeah, <laughs> killing people, war, kind of power and force, and you know, we've got a big army, we've got a bigger army than everyone else, so they can kind of start to wipe people out um, and, and take over land. Um, obviously, God's kingdom is not like that, and we're, we're going to kind of think a little bit about God's kingdom. Um, so, kind of keep, keep that thought in mind. Um, if you could have Daniel 6 open, if you've got a Bible with you, that would be really helpful, and then you can um, check that, that what I'm saying is in there, and I'm not just making it up. Um, so, so Daniel, um, we're up to chapter 6. Um, as you might know, Daniel is split into two halves. And chapter 6 is the last chapter of the first half. So the first half is, is like narrative. So it's the story of Daniel, um, this exile from Judah, um, living in Babylon. And the second half of the book, the, the last six chapters, are uh, dreams and visions that Daniel has. Um, so, so yeah, we're kind of at the end this first half, Daniel, and the story is Daniel in the lion's den, and as Rich said, it's, it's quite a famous chapter, um, de- definitely the most famous one in Daniel, and probably one of the most famous in the Bible, I would say. Um, I was listening to uh, Coldplay's latest album this week, and they've got a song on there that talks about Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, I, I tried to look at the lyrics and work out what they were talking about, how it related, but I have no idea, so, um, so you, can, you can go away and listen to... Um, uh, I think it's called Us Against the World um, has, has that lyric in it so you can go in and look it up and see if you can work out what they're talking about because I couldn't um, but yeah, hopefully I've managed to work out what, what Daniel is talking about here in chapter 6 um, and I think it's, it's an amazing chapter and it's got some awesome things to say about God and some awesome things to say about our role within God's kingdom um, so I hope I can get that across to you um, I think it's, it's usually a good idea to sort of refresh your memory about where we're up to, because um, it's been a few months since we looked at chapter 5. Um, so, so just kind of quickly, this is, this is Daniel in Babylon. He is an Israelite. Um, the Israelites were God's people. They had a land. Um, they had a temple where God's presence was. Um, they, they were kind of a, a, a nation that um, 
kind of had God ruling over them. But the Babylonians came in and they kind of took all that away. So um, they're living in Babylon, kind of scattered as a people. They've not got their own land. They've not got the temple anymore. And, uh, and yeah, it kind of seemed to a lot of them like, um, like God, God wasn't there. God wasn't doing what he'd promised. Um, Daniel himself um, wrote the book. Um, and he, he's about 80 years old in this story, um, which surprised me when, when I kind of worked it out. Because um, you, you always kind of get the picture of Daniel being quite a young guy. Um, but he's actually about 80 years old. So this is, this is set 50 years after the exile. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the exile was a big deal. And um, the, the big theme of Daniel is, is trying to show these exiles in, um, in Babylon, these Israelites, that God is still in charge. He's still in control. He's still sovereign, um, even over these pagan kings. So we've met a, a couple of the kings. We've met Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and we've met Belshazzar and in the last chapter we saw the fall of Babylon as uh, Belshazzar was kind of um, struck down by Darius um, who who feeds in this chapter Um, Darius is probably the same person as Cyrus Um, so if if you're here while we were doing Ezra and Nehemiah um, you'll know about Cyrus Um, if if you look in your footnote if you've got a church bible um, so uh, verse 28 says so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian and that that and probably means uh, in the sense of that is so it's explaining Darius is the same person as as Cyrus Um, so so yeah that kind of links links up with Ezra and Nehemiah Um, so Cyrus was the guy who told these rights to go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple so that's where that's our context Israel's in a foreign land with a foreign king and feeling like uh, maybe God has abandoned them. Um, so what, what I want to do first is just quickly tell the story again and look at it from the angle of, um, well, I've, I've, I've given this, um, the title, Who's the Boss? Um, and look at it kind of from that angle of sort of power and who's in control and who, who thinks they're in control. Um, so we start with Darius, and um, he's just taken over Babylon from Belshazzar, and now he's the king, he's the boss of this land, and his first act is to do a bit of delegation, which is a good thing for a boss to do, um, so he's going to exert his power through these satraps, um, I've never come across that word in any other context, so I think I'm going to use the word governors from now on, which some translations use, which I think is the, the same kind of sense. Um, so there's 120 of them ruling these different provinces um, and there's three administrators over them, one of whom is Daniel. Um, so we've got this kind of line of, of power um, with Darius at the top. Um, one, of the, yeah, one of the administrators is Daniel, as I said. Um, he's pretty good at his job and Darius starts to make plans to put him in charge of everything to be kind of above all of these other administrators and governors. Um, and as you can imagine, the administrating governors are not too happy with this. They're, you know, may, maybe it's okay for Daniel to be on the same level with the other administrators, but to have this, this foreigner ruling over them, who they're accountable to, who's in charge of them, who can tell them what to do, well, that, that won't do. So they come up with this plan to get rid of him. And they know that Daniel considers God 
his ultimate boss. So, and they know that's the only way um, that they're going to manage to get rid of him. So they trick Darius into this ridiculous law that anyone who prays to anyone except Darius um, over this time period um, would be thrown into the lion's den. Um, and I, don't, I don't really know what Darius was thinking when he allowed this law to be passed, whether he was kind of thinking, you know, I can inflate my ego and, uh, and whatever, or whether it was just, you know, sort of public image or a show of power. Um, but, yeah, whatever it is, these, these jealous officials get him to do it, and things are working out as they planned, um, because Daniel does exactly what they expect, and he continues to pray to God. Uh, so Darius, Darius can't do anything about this, and Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Um, we all know what happens next. Daniel comes out alive, and these conniving governors and administrators, they get thrown into the lion's den instead. Um, and, and it shows that God has kind of been in charge all along. Um, it probably doesn't really surprise you much that the answer to that question, who's the boss, um, the, the answer is God. Um, I'm sure you, you realise that when I first said it. Um, but I want, yeah, I want to kind of think about that and, and look into it and um, what, what does it mean for us, for, for God to be boss. Um, so that's, that's the first thing that I want to look at. And the second thing is... Um, I, think, I think the passage shows us um, something about God's kingdom that the way it advances is, is not through kind of big displays of power and might but it advances through God's people and we'll have a look at how that kind of applies to us so God is the boss and God's kingdom advances through his people I've, yeah, I've said it lots of times already, but as we've been looking through Daniel, it's, it's just really clear that the main message of the book is that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is the boss. Um, so think about the first five chapters of Daniel. So chapter one, uh, God makes sure that Daniel and his friends don't have to eat this, uh, this temple food that's been sacrificed to the idols. Chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue, and uh, Daniel is given the interpretation by God that Basically, God rules. God is in control. Chapter 3, God saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Um, And there's a lot of parallels between that chapter and this one. Um, Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a tree. um, And the interpretation of that was that that he was going to go mad if he didn't turn back to God. Um, And he didn't. And he did go mad. Um, And eventually, he did fall down and worship God. And then the last chapter, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall, but he doesn't heed God's warning. And, uh, and God strikes him down through Darius. So we see that God is sovereign. He is absolutely in charge of, of everything, of all of the affairs of all of the, the kings in the world. And God, God has not been like left behind by the Israelites in Jerusalem. It's not kind of there in the ruins of the temple um, you know, crying to himself, he is in control of everything. So it's, it's no surprise really to see the theme surfacing again um, in chapter 6. Um, and we obviously see it really clearly in the fact that Daniel is saved from the lion's den. Uh, I don't know what image you get when you think of lions, think of this lion's den. I think, I think like kids... Bible story, but it's often be really unhelpful here because I think it can often give pictures of 
lines that are sort of all cute and fluffy and, you know, they've often got a big smile on their face. It's sort of, you know, these cute, fluffy things. Just, they're just big cats, really. Um, but, but lions, are, you know, they're, they're not tame. They're ferocious beasts. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news this week, there was a, a girl in uh, California who worked um, at kind of an animal park. I think she was an intern there. And uh, she, was, she was young, she was in her 20s. she just fed the lions and she went to clean the cage next door. And one of the lions came in after her and he just, he just wanted to play with her. But he took a, took a swipe and, and broke her neck and she died. Um, so imagine what uh, an angry, kind of hungry lion could do. Um, you know, well, well, we kind of see it, don't we, towards the end of the chapter, um, that the lions are ferocious creatures. So, yeah, my, well, my point is that often we can skip over this, but it's, it's such a massive, uh, amazing miracle that is on a par with anything else that we read in the Bible. God is breaking into the world, he's overcoming the natural order of things, and he's showing himself to be the boss. And Daniel believes this, doesn't he? And his reaction to the decree being read out uh, shows us that. What does he do? When the king says, you're not allowed to pray to anyone except me, Daniel goes away and prays to God, as he's always done. And there's no way he could do that if he didn't believe that God was in control of events, could he? So he is, he's convinced that God is the one to be served above any other king. But it doesn't always look like God's the boss in reality, does it? It doesn't always seem like he's the one in control. Imagine how you'd feel as Daniel stood at the entrance to the lion's den. And you see, you see them prowling around, these, these massive beasts, staring at their uh, potential prey. It'd be completely understandable if he felt absolutely terrified and felt like God had abandoned him there. But of course, Daniel was rescued from the lions. God did do a miracle there, but it's not always the case. Bad things do happen to God's people. Um, God's people get ill like everyone else. They suffer bereavement. They suffer all kinds of hurt, um, physically and spiritually and emotionally. And yeah, we kind of lose jobs, lose lives. If you look back through history, it'd be completely untrue to say that Christians are exempt from suffering. Absolutely the opposite. But what does this say about God? Does this mean he's not in control all of the time? that maybe he, you know, sometimes he can do these miracles, but he's not really in control. Maybe, maybe that is what some of the Israelites in Babylon felt like. They'd been promised by God this land and this great nation, but that seems to be gone. So where was God? So I think the book of Daniel is written to these people, written for these people, written for us as well, who are facing situations um, where, where, we, where we feel suffering um, and it shows us that God is in complete control of events even if it doesn't seem like it I think the Bible is, is just really clear that God is and always has been and always will be in control of the world's events there's absolutely nothing that is um, uh, nothing or no one that is outside of his control he knows exactly what has happened in the past, what will happen in the future, 
what is going on right now. He's, he's, not, he's not worried about whether people will mess things up. He's never taken by surprise. Um, he's in charge and he's got a plan. And it's a plan that, that we don't always fully understand, um, which is why it might seem like God is not in control. And it's a plan that's based on his complete knowledge of the past and the future. And it's a plan that has been putting into effect since the beginning of the world. God has never had a plan B because he doesn't need one. He knows that plan A is going to work itself out. So the Israelites' exile in Babylon is all part of his purpose. Our trials and our sufferings are all part of God's purpose as well, which, which doesn't make them hurt less. Things, things still hurt us, but um, this, this truth gives us strength to be able to get through those things. Now, I, I have been saying this kind of right throughout Daniel, so it's not really anything new that I'm saying, um, but I think it's important to understand that before we move on to the next thing. Um, so, yeah, we, if we believe in God's, God's sovereignty and God's control, it will help us to to understand the next thing, that God advances his kingdom um, through his people. So, well, let me explain what I mean by God advancing his kingdom first. Um, the Bible talks a lot about God's kingdom. Uh, it calls it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of light, as well as the kingdom of God. Um, it's not a physical kingdom, like um, the, the British Empire or the Roman Empire, or that that Nick said um, that I can't pronounce um, so so yeah um, it's God's kingdom is where God where God's reign is, is manifested um, so yeah we've already said that God is in control of the world in one sense but we also know that there are, there are other powers at work and that the world is spoiled by sin um, and that God um, doesn't reign in people's hearts, and it, um, yeah, and, and the world is not as as God um, originally intended it. I guess we could say it like that. Sin continues to spoil it. So God um, advancing His kingdom is the things over which He reigns increasing. And how does He do that? Well, I think this chapter shows us that He does that through His people. Um, I've been really blown away this week by just thinking about this. I think it's absolutely incredible that, um, uh, and this this will kind of affect affect everything really about our Christian life, um, if, if we believe this. Um, and I think there's two main ways that we see it in Daniel six: uh, prayer and faithful obedience. So, firstly, prayer. When people pray, God acts. Did you notice um, Daniel's prayers in this chapter? Um, I guess the, the hard to miss, really, is the reason he gets thrown into the lion's den in the first place. Um, his commitment to prayer is absolutely astonishing. So, um, yeah, if we look at verse 10. Um, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Uh, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. So we already know from the previous chapters that Daniel is a prayer. Um, 
and, and we know that he asks God for help and he asks him for wisdom. Um, but we now really get an insight into what he really thinks about prayer, what his attitude to it is. He doesn't just consider it to be a nice privilege um, or you know, something to do in times of crisis or even just a daily routine, although it is all of those things. All of those things are true, but it is much more than that. Um, Daniel values prayer so highly that he is willing to risk everything. He's willing to put at risk his job, his position, his life um, for prayer. What is so special about prayer that it's worth that? Well, prayer is so amazing that when people pray, um, God asks, uh, God acts. When people pray, God acts. The result of Daniel's prayer was that the lions were tamed and this pagan king uh, came to know God and acknowledge him. How amazing is that? God uses the prayers of his people to advance his kingdom. He gets us involved in the work of his kingdom. Um, God has a plan, as we've said, he's in control, he's sovereign, and yet he uses us. He involves us. And when Daniel prayed, God broke through in that time and place. God's, God's kingdom was glimpsed there and then. A miracle happened. A pagan worships God. His lines were turned. And don't we see that right through the Bible as well? And not, Well, not just in the Bible, but in our own experience, when, when we pray, God does things. God responds to our prayer. Prayer is effective. God responds and his kingdom breaks through into our sin-spoiled world. I mean, it's not as if God, God needs us. He, he's not dependent on us to pray, but he chooses lovingly, mercifully, to involve us in his work of the kingdom. And doesn't that, just, that, doesn't that change the way we see prayer? Uh, I know it does for me. Um, I'll be honest, I, I really struggle with prayer at times. Sometimes I find it dull. I, I think, is this doing anyone any good at all, really? And that, that stops me from praying in the way that I should. But if I understand this, that God uses prayer for the work of his kingdom... That, that changes it. That makes prayer incredible. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it's exciting. It's not dull anymore. It's, it has an effect. It's powerful. When people pray, God acts. So the second way that God advances his kingdom through his people is this. When people have great faith, God does great things. When people have great faith, God does great things. So when people trust in God and obey him, the, the kingdom breaks through and miracles happen. Daniel is such a great example of great faith. Um, he lives in a way which puts God first. Uh, he, he puts obedience to God above everything else. We've already seen how, um, how he, he puts everything at risk um, in, in praying when the, this decree is read out. And did you notice verse 23? That's, 
that's actually the reason God rescues him. Um, so look down at verse 23. Uh, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel's faith caused something of God's kingdom to be tasted on earth. Uh, do you remember in Isaiah when um, the, it says that the lion will live together with the calf? Uh, not the lamb, as I'd originally written. I looked it up and there's no verse that says the lion will lie down with the lamb. Um, it's the wolf that lies down with the lamb and the lion with the calf, apparently. So that, that's something new that I learned. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the ferocious beasts will be tamed. That is what God's kingdom will look like. And that's what happens here. We see God's new creation peeking through um, because of Daniel's faith, because of his trust. Um, and, and not only that, not, not only the miracle with the lions, what about what happens to the king at the end of the chapter? Let's read this letter that he writes again. So verse 26, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, it's absolutely amazing for a pagan king to say that. A king in a land where you know, there, there were multiple gods of different things. Also, the king himself was, you know, we see a little bit in this chapter, was often revered as a god. For him to say, God, the God of the Israelites is the true God. He is the living God. Um, all of the other gods kind of pale into insignificance. This God is eternal. He is amazing. And yeah, that, that is just incredible for him to say that. Um, as we look back in the, um, and forwards in the Bible, there's obviously loads of other characters um, that we see who have great faith, like um, David and Elijah and Moses and Rahab and people like this. Um, I guess we kind of look at Hebrews 11 and the great big list of them there. Um, people of, of great faith, and, and when, when they have great faith and they trust in God and they obey God, God does amazing things through them. Uh, there's, there's great examples from more recent times too. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of Jim Elliott, um, who was an American guy. I think sometime in the 50s, him and his friends decided to go to Ecuador, to a, a savage tribe there um, who didn't really have any contact with the outside world and obviously never heard about Jesus. And he wanted to tell them about Jesus. And, um, and basically they, they, went, they went in there and got killed. And the, um, I think there were four of them. Um, all died, and um, but but the the amazing thing that happened there is that later on, um, their their partners went back um, to to that place, and now there is a thriving church in um, in amongst that tribe, and actually the people who killed Jim and his friends are the ones who are leading the church. They're the, the pastor of the church and the elders, um, and it's amazing what God has done through the faith of those guys. Or think, think about Christians who live in places like North Korea and uh, China and maybe uh, Muslim countries where it's actually illegal to convert to Christianity who have to live um, you know, in fear every day and that someone's going to find them out 
um, and, and put them into a, a prison camp or, or put them to death for their faith. So God, and God uses these acts of faith for his kingdom to grow it and to strengthen it and to build it. Um, but for most of us, I guess, this, this won't be our, this is not our day-to-day experience, is it? We won't be called to take those massive life-threatening risks. Um, but we are called to the same kind of obedience as Daniel. Um, did you notice in the early part of the chapter, uh, verse 4, uh, we'll re- read it again. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He is being obedient to God's commands. He is living as a true uh, person of God. He trusts God enough to keep living according to God's commands, even in this pagan culture which has no concern uh, for God. And that's, I guess, the more normal Christian experience. Um, that's, that's the one we can kind of relate to, uh, because we, we do live in a pagan culture where uh, God is, is not revered and, and is not seen as God. He's not worshipped, he's not glorified, and I guess kind of in, in terms of holiness, anything goes, really, um, as, long, as long as it feels good and it doesn't hurt anyone else. And that's when we're challenged to, to live by faith and to, to live in obedience to God. Um, I, don't, I don't really want to give you any kind of specific um, instructions and, and applications here, um, but, but just, to, just to go and live in a way which shows God's kingdom to others um, because, because God has chosen us to be a part of that, a part of advancing his kingdom, a part of showing, um, showing his kingdom in the world. And, and when, we, when we do, when we do trust in God, when we're obedient to him, people will glimpse God's kingdom and God will do great things in people's hearts. Um, he will let us and he will let others uh, taste and see this kingdom that is to come. Because one day Jesus will return and he'll bring this new creation in completely. And we won't be catching glimpses anymore. And we'll be living fully in that, in that kingdom. So ever since the fall, um, God's plan of salvation has been advancing. Um, and we're, we're in the final stages of that plan now. Um, in the Old Testament we saw kind of bits of it. And with the coming of Jesus, it it exploded outwards from Jerusalem. It was no longer confined to Israel. It exploded out into the world so that now every nation has people in it who are part of God's kingdom. And that's that's why we pray in in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Your kingdom come. We pray that God's kingdom will come fully and finally and the new creation will be brought in. And, And it's coming through us, his prayerful faithful, obedient people. So Jesus didn't come with force. Um, he didn't kind of, uh, you know, come on a horse with a sword and to strike down the Romans um, like, like the kind of earthly empires that, w- that we were thinking about. But he brought the kingdom in through trust and obedience to his father who led him to the cross to be the saviour of the world how amazing it is to be a part of, of that plan 
of, of God's kingdom, of advancing God's kingdom in the world. Um, and I guess we, we can only do that if we believe the first thing. If we believe that God is in control of events, uh, then, then we can put our trust fully in him. We can live by faith, live by obedience, live a, a prayerful life which, which has an effect, which brings uh, God's kingdom in, which allows it to, to break through into our world. Amen.